Good morning. On this bowl of question crunch, my friend Buster Balloon is here to answer questions about balloon toilets, being a teacher at the Clown Academy, and the various spooky festivities he is planning for Halloween. <laughs> Buster, um, I, I I love it that we're friends uh, because you are one of the few. Like I, I think I have two clown friends, two officially clown friends. Uh, one's retired, and then there's you. Um, and we met at Midsummer Scream. We met via uh, my first guest was Connor, and she's the person who introduced us. Um, and you are a balloon artist. Is that the term for you? Yes. Balloon artist, balloon twister, dork who doesn't have a life, they all apply. <laughs> is, I mean, on your card, does it say dork that doesn't have a life? Because I kind of want that now. Uh, actually, my business card says creative genius, balloon twisting savant, and pre-sweetened breakfast cereal connoisseur. Fantastic. That's that's pretty good for this for this podcast. We are all about the cereal theming, so that's I love it. Um how did you get how did you get into balloon i was gonna say balloon sculpting but how did you get into balloon twisting um so when i was a kid i loved art right from the beginning so when i was a kid i was completely obsessed with drawing and sculpting by the time i was three and when i was about five years old i discovered magic and totally fell in love with magic and when i was about 18 i discovered balloon twisting and that was like the perfect melding of being a ham and being an artist at the same time. And that, that's why I do, you know, you've seen me do the stage shows at Midsummer Scream because creating the sculpture is one thing. I, I love the visual art aspect, but doing the balloon sculpting on stage and having that connection, that emotional connection of them watching a sculpture come alive and the interaction with the audience along the way is just that that experience is what makes it so much fun for me. That's my favorite part. Well, the showmanship, just the uh, the the part where you make the poodles with two <laughs> a poodle of her hand is amazing. The double dog dare. <laughs> the double dog dare. It's amazing. Uh, I've I've seen you do it a few times, and it never fails to impress me. Like I'll be working on something in, in mid performance, I'm like, I got I got stare. I got to see this. This is it. Ne it's always impressive. Thank um, you. But you said you discovered a balloon. Uh, you discovered balloon sculpting. Uh, balloon twisting. How did that discovery happen? Like, to, like... I had actually, I mean, I'd known about balloon twisting for years. I'd gotten balloons sure, sure. at different parties and things. Um, but what really happened, and this is the funny and ironic part, is I was a very reluctant balloon twister at first. I, I was a serious <laughs> back then, and I, I didn't want to learn balloons because I felt that was below me. I didn't need to do balloon animals because I was a magician. I was better than that. Uh, so, and then I had a friend who did strolling magic at a TGI Fridays for their Sunday brunches. And he needed a fill-in guy when he'd get better paying gigs outside. Um, but the deal was it was family brunch. And so if I wanted to do the magic gig, I had to make balloon animals too for the kids at the tables. So, so I grudgingly learned my first few balloon animals. Um, but lucky for me, I had a really great art teacher in high school. And her whole thing was that everything is a medium. So we worked in absolutely everything imaginable. 
Um, and so when I picked up balloons, everything she had taught me just transferred over. All, all the same building blocks, all the same principles all applied. You know, and you, you being an artist yourself, you know, when it comes to drawing or sculpting, when you first start roughing something out, you're going to, like I'm doing a person, I'm going to start with an oval for a head, cylinder, block, cylinder, cylinder, square, right? But mm-hmm. with balloons, it's all these different shapes and sizes and techniques that I know. And instead of plugging in those geometric shapes, I'm plugging in those different balloon shapes and combinations. And, and so once that clicked, once I understood that it was just a new medium with all the same concepts and actually with a bigger palette, because every new balloon technique I learned becomes a new shape that I can plug in, suddenly the balloon twisting became my obsession. That's impressive. Like, uh, how how often do you learn a new technique? Uh, is it just like a constant learning thing where other balloon twisters discover stuff? Yeah, I I've never been a technique guy as far as like creating the techniques. Sure. Uh, but when somebody else creates a new technique, I I try to learn it and then I'll I don't do as much as I used to. Um, but really, there there were times when I was younger I'd learn a new technique and just spend a week just doing everything I could think of with that technique, applying it to every different shape and size of balloon I could find, you know, and then turning it and twisting it because there'd be times where I would make something that seemed like a complete failure, you know, and I'd toss it aside. And then a day later, I'd walk into my office and see the same sculpture, but upside down. And now suddenly it sparks something. And I'd take that and run with it. Um, I, I will tell you, I usually like to keep my, my interviews you know, at least PG, but we'll get a little racy now. Uh, awesome. No, go, work- go as racy as you want. I, I, That's I was okay. working on a technique to make a the bust of a female character, which didn't work out at all, but that turned into the world's best squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out what I thought was going to be good boobs was these awesome chipmunk cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that's a tale as old as time. <laughs> well, we had that discovery at some point, right? <laughs> most most squirrels are, you know, failed boobs. It's 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 nature. It's science. <laughs> uh, that's amazing. I would never have thought that you, uh, you reluctantly got to balloons. <laughs> yeah, it's all because of Mrs. Schaefer. It, I remember. We did styrofoam sculpting. We did wire sculpting. Um, at one day, someone made the unforgivable sin of crumpling up a perfectly good piece of paper, unused, and threw it in a trash can. And she found it, and she was just livid. Um, and so she made all of us take our art paper, crumple it up, and then do cave drawings on the rocky surface of our crumpled paper. So she really, she really, really inspired me and, and instilled that in me that, that everything's a medium that you just experiment and play. And yeah, so when I discovered balloons, like everything she had taught me just, it, it clicked. And I think the, the thing that really turned me was going to these tables in a restaurant and, you know, I would do a card trick that I had spent months and months and months perfecting and you know getting the position of my pinky just right and the misdirection and everything's perfect and there'd still be that one guy who'd be like oh yeah i know what you did i didn't even do anything yet but but he would think he knew what i did and then i would turn around and make 
you know, a dinosaur out of two balloons for his kid. And he would look at me in complete awe and go, how do you do that? Like it was, I, I was getting the response from the balloons that I wanted from the magic. And, and when I saw how that affected people, that really, that, that jump started it. And it took decades, you know, we're talking about when I was maybe my late teens, early twenties, making those first balloons. And so the, the, evolution from just making balloon sculptures to actually turning it into real art and also into real performance that that was well over a decade for that whole thing to evolve but it, it started that spark was in that tgi fridays going table to table and seeing how people just were in awe of the simplest balloon animal and like i literally you know the, the card tricks again I, i'm doing stuff that i worked so hard on and they they <laughs> I could have handed them a balloon and said, okay, now do this. Now do this. Like they literally could have gone step by step through it with me and I could have taught them to make it there on the spot, but they still were just in complete wonder and, and couldn't understand how that was possible. That is, uh, that's an interesting concept to really uh, consider the fact that uh, when you're trying to be sneaky and you're trying to do a trick, people are going to look closely and they're going to be like, no, everything you're doing, I understand it. Yes. I got that. And you're not even trying to be sneaky with the balloon animal. You're like, here's a balloon. Check it out. Right. Now it's an animal. And, and it's, it's it the You know, there, there are those people who just don't like to be fooled. And, and I totally <laughs> get that. And, you know, there, again, that, that evolution as a performer, as an artist, when I was, you know, 20 and wanting to fool people versus, you know, now I'm, on the edge of 50 and I realized that, you know, magic by its nature should be secretive. The, the, the techniques, the mechanics of it should be a secret, but it, it's not about fooling someone. You know, if you don't want the mechanics to be obvious because you don't want to take them out of that moment, right? So, so if, they, if they get a hint of how it works, it, it can break the illusion and take them out of that moment of wonder. But it's really about creating that experience. And so whether you fool them or not doesn't matter. It's how they feel at the end of it. And same thing with the balloons. You know, I, I've got a friend who years ago made a he spent hours and hours on a sculpture for a client. And it was a guy's 50th birthday and he had some, you know, super expensive sports car. So the wife wanted him to make the sports car out of balloons. So he makes <laughs> scale model and goes like way overboard way beyond what they they wanted and like you know the the controls on the dashboard and every tiny detail recreated and he shows up with it and they're like ooh ah and then 10 minutes later the guy with the live monkey shows up suddenly nobody cares about the balloon guy anymore <laughs> <laughs> and the monkey sees the car and goes to town on it and just destroys this beautiful sculpture my friend had spent like five hours on. And they're all laughing, having a great time. And, and I, what I realize now is part of why that probably happened is because they didn't see him make it. They had no idea the effort and the time and talent that went into that sculpture. You know, so they're used to seeing balloon sculptures happen in a matter of minutes. They don't know that that took five hours. 
So they're in the moment and they're enjoying that experience versus when I do my stage shows, even making a simple balloon. You know, you were talking about the, the dogs. I just make two simple balloon dogs, but it's done with showmanship and there's a connection between me and the audience. And if I hand someone that balloon dog afterwards, they're going to treat it like it's the most amazing balloon animal they've ever gotten in their lives because there was an emotional connection and an experience. And they're going to tell that story later. They're going to talk about the guy who made a balloon dog with one hand and that they're the one who got to take it home that day. And so I think that's it. That That's why the stage shows are, are so cool because the balloon sculptures aren't just these static visual pieces of art. There's an emotional connection to them. And that, that's what theater and art should do. I totally understand what you mean by that. Because uh, when I do uh, comic book conventions, when comic book conventions were a thing, um, a lot of artists can do free sketches and we can have a tip jar and uh, the tip can come in. Now, a lot of my artist friends, they will spend uh, way more time on their drawing and they may or may not get tip from the person. While I will knock that stuff out and I'll get a lot of tip. And I told them that, you don't know if you're going to get tip and this is a free drawing. So don't worry about being that good. They just want to see a drawing done as fast as possible. Or they, they want to see like a thing. They want to see you do art. <laughs> a lot of people, when they buy comic books, uh, well, not, a lot, not, not comic book fans, comic book fans, they get it that every piece, every page is hours upon hours of work. Um, but a lot of people, they don't understand that. So, and, and if a monkey comes by and rips up the comic book, they're going to enjoy that a lot more. Right. <laughs> Um, what are, what are some of the strangest balloon sculptures you've created now? And I've seen, I follow you on social media and I always think that I've seen the weirdest thing, but then you post something else and I'm just like, Oh, that's amazing. I'm always impressed. Uh, so years and years and years ago, and I can't, I can't even post a picture of it because it wouldn't translate. <laughs> in picture, I don't even think video would, would properly make it translate. Um, I made a working toilet for somebody. Hey, well, hold on. <laughs> uh, so I, I made a toilet bowl out of uh -huh. balloons, fairly large, not quite life-size, but, you know, like three-quarter scale. Uh, so I made a toilet bowl, and then I took a big clear balloon, and I made a little rubber ducky because it was a family restaurant. So I made a rubber ducky instead of something else. And I put that inside that clear balloon. And then I filled the clear balloon about halfway with water and put that in the bowl of the toilet. And so if you held the toilet and you gave it a little swirl, the water would spin around the little ducky and get caught up in the whirlpool. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's, that's still really amazing. But when you said a working toilet, I was like, does it flush? Did you make yeah, it? Not <laughs> like... quite that working, but... <laughs> Oh, my mind, uh, I lost it at first when you said a working toilet, though, because I was like, the had the plumbing? Did you actually construct a balloon toilet that people can use? That's insane. Uh, so uh, but no. a slot machine. Um, <laughs> not, not really a working slot machine, but when you pulled the handle, the, the tumblers did spin. That's it, pretty it cool. Wasn't, it wasn't random, but they did move, so that was a fun sculpture to do. I, that, that's, that's amazing that, because, like, you know, the, the static uh, balloons, ha. Huh? The static balloons where there's no working or moving contraptions are already impressive enough. But the fact that you add a little extra to that, like adding water to a balloon sculpture, I would never have even thought about that. Well, again, that goes back to the theater stuff, you know, sure. 
doing drama in high school and studying theater my whole life, you know, looking at how, again, if even if I'm not doing a stage show necessarily, how are they going to interact with the sculpture? So is there some kinetic element that's going to move or, you know, my, my big thing for the last 20 years has been making everything I do wearable because it's one thing to hand somebody a static sculpture. It's another thing when they actually become part of the art piece. So if I make them a balloon hat or a balloon on a hairband or if a, a jetpack that a kid's going to wear and then run around the party like he's flying, you know, how are they going to interact with this piece? Because that's what gives it life and, and makes it important to them. Interactivity Versus is always just, important. You know, otherwise, you just make a balloon sculpture and I, I've seen it over and over again at events where you hand somebody a regular balloon sculpture and five minutes later it's tucked under a table next to mom's purse or something. Um, and I've seen, forgotten about. And I've seen a bunch of the dresses that you've made and there are, uh, they are breathtaking works of art. Why, thank you. Those usually take, for, for me, they take between eight and 12 hours. But I'm, oh, I'm also very slow. Um, I know my daughter and some of the other younger balloon twisters out there, I've seen them knock dresses out in like two to four hours. In fact, there was a dress competition in Japan a few years ago that I went to. And they, they had a two-hour time limit. And at first, I, I was blown away. I was like, there's no way. These are going to be like super short dresses or bikinis. And they were coming out with these insane elaborate balloon sculptures. And the deal was it was two hour time limit and you only got a two person crew, which meant it was either the balloon designer and another experienced balloon twister to help them make it, who was also going to have to be the model or the designer and then a model who didn't necessarily know how to twist balloons. So, so you had to compromise. You, you, if you, if you didn't find an absolutely stunning knockout model who was also a really great balloon twister, you're on your own with the design. <laughs> Versus get a friend who's not a model but willing to wear the dress and knows how to twist balloons so you can get this thing done. And it was, it was just incredible what they accomplished in that tiny time frame with just two people. And a few of the artists picked models who had no balloon twisting experience. So it was literally just them in two hours knocking out these insane creations. I almost feel like that should get that should get you more points in this competition if it's just you and the the models just standing straight as you build around I them. I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's that's nuts. Like w w uh, your time is already impressive, but two hours. Yeah, I, I will <laughs> tell you the, the traveling the world is amazing. And the first time I went to Japan and meeting balloon artists from Japan, and there are also artists from Korea and other places who are there. And the the East versus West philosophies of balloon art were very very <laughs> different. And I think I think it's it's melding more. We're, we're kind of meeting in the middle now. But when I first went to Japan years ago, um, here in the U.S., like if you go to a balloon store, people will ask, where are the twister balloons or where are the entertainer balloons? Because there's a very separate section for what balloon twisters use versus what the decorators use. And when I went to Japan, there was no there was no 
division between the two. Everyone who decorated knew how to twist. Everyone who twisted knew how to decorate. And the only distinction between a decorator and a twister was the end result. Are you twisting something live at an event to give to somebody? Or are you making a display that they're going to come and see or like a delivery piece? But but that was the that that was the definition. Every decorator used twister techniques in their sculptures, and every twister used decorator techniques in their sculptures. And because of that, they did just insane stuff. And also just their focus and and commitment to their work. I, I was doing a class that I would have never ever done in a million years here in the US back then. Um, because they wanted a they wanted a hands-on class that was super advanced. We were making these gigantic monster heads. And this is a sculpture that would take me about 20 minutes to make by myself, let alone doing it hands-on and waiting for every student in the class to catch up and having to pause to help this person and that person, things like that. There's no way I would have ever attempted that. And that first trip, they, they pushed. They're like, no, they really, really want these designs. All right, fine. And I figured the class would be a disaster. So halfway through the class, we've made this gigantic werewolf mask. And I'm looking out, and there are 40 perfect replicas of my werewolf mask staring back at me and no one's falling behind and just I pause I'm like out of curiosity I gotta know how many of you have been twisting for more than two years and about half the hands went up all right who who's only been twisting for 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 like a year or so and about a quarter of that hands went up so there are the people in that class who only been twisting for a year and half who were at like two years or less. And they were all able to keep up step for step with this amazing, fairly complex sculpture, especially for the time. And we, we made two of these masks. We did Werewolf and Frankenstein and everyone was right with me the entire time. And it was really a cool experience. And it changed how I looked at balloon art because realizing that I'd always liked using every technique. You know, like I said, I, I want every tool in my toolbox. So when I go to do that plug and play thing with those shapes, I, I want as many different tools on my palette as possible. So I learned decorator techniques and I played with balloons that twisters don't traditionally use. And going there and seeing that that was the norm was just so amazing. And it was, I think it was really great that more American teachers and more European teachers started going to those events in Japan and Korea and Singapore because we started bringing that idea back. And then those artists also started coming to our conventions here. And I think the Americans got tired of getting their butts kicked every year when the Japanese would show up. And so they started upping their game. And suddenly we, we saw this incredible revolution where balloon art really started accelerating faster and faster. You know, it a lot of it's, it's almost like computers sometimes. I, I think much like computer technology, we, we've kind of plateaued for a little while. There hasn't been a really big revolution for a while, but but watching how fast that evolution happened for about a decade, and especially with the internet, where now artists all over the world, it wasn't a matter of whether or not you could afford a plane ticket to go to this event. Everyone was sharing ideas online and just 
the the evolution where we went from balloon dresses being something that you saw occasionally if you went to one of these events to something that I would say half of all serious balloon artists have probably made a dress at some point, at least one. So it, it's really, really, it, it, it's a fun industry and it's a cool industry and art form. And it's, it's I, I love that we've got a very family community with it, where it, it's very open source. Um, I, I will I will go ahead and talk smack about my magician friends. Magicians are are just just closed off and horrible little bastards. Um, sorry, that's that's probably rude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but by well, secret, gonna... magic is about secrets, and yeah. magicians have always very much been um, very proprietary about their their secrets and who they're going to share this secret with or that secret. And balloon twisters have pretty much always been open source. So, so really, there's very little information in the balloon world. I mean, I, I sell downloadable tutorials that people can purchase and learn from, and there's plenty of other people. But for the most part, when it comes to like the techniques, not not the the necessarily the actual designs and patterns, but the techniques to get there, those are pretty much all open source. And for a really good balloon artist, you know, if you if you really want to copy somebody's design, if you know the techniques, you can probably recreate it or something fairly close to it. You know, or if you're at that level, you're probably inventing your own design, so you don't need to copy other people's stuff. Sure. It's it's just it's I'm, I'm rambling now and going on. No, and on. you're not. You are not rambling. This it's is amazing. These are art form. <laughs> this is stuff that a lot of people will not know because I first of all I did not know there were dress competitions and ballooning. Uh, I am. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I am absolutely. As soon as we're done with this interview, I'm going to go on YouTube and see if I can find a video of these because I want to see it. I think it's amazing. Now, oh, in fashion shows. So my my daughter is actually one of the most. I'd say she's probably one of the most successful and most respected balloon designers <laughs> in the world. And a few years ago, we were at a balloon convention and we're like, hey, this is so much fun. We get to catch up because she lives in Vegas. We don't always get to see each other as much as we want to. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about coming out next week. She's like, yeah, I want to be in Egypt for the next three weeks on a gig. So there was a shopping center in Egypt that flew her out, paid her to be there for three weeks to build like a balloon dress a day. She got weekends off, but five days a week, she made a dress a day to be on exhibit and be modeled at a shopping center in Egypt. <laughs> That's too cool. <laughs> yeah, this is, don't worry about rambling because this is stuff that we don't know about. Most people don't know about, and I think that's amazing. It is not rambling. Um, my favorite part is that I was wondering, I was wondering when you were talking about how uh, it is very global, that information that people uh, in the balloon world, they, they like to talk about stuff. They like to instruct stuff um, because I was wondering how open the community was because uh, some communities, some groups of artists, um, you, you, you brought up the magicians, <laughs> um, ego can get in the way. And uh, it's really warm and welcoming. It's it's awesome to hear, like voice actors. A lot of times when I'm hanging out with voice actors, it always seems like they're really friendly people and they just want to talk about their craft. They just want to talk about what they're passionate about. So right. I am glad to hear that balloon artists are the same. Right. And, and 
just to clarify, I am sort of half joking about the magicians. Um, there, <laughs> there, course, are no. legends. There, there are stories about like like legitimate blood feuds and fist fights in the past, uh, like like way way back past. I've seen the prestige <laughs> magic world. You've loosened up a bit, um, and I actually I I'm I'm one of the voices in the balloon world that's kind of pushing us to be a little less open source, because okay. the the problem is. I, I love how open and sharing our community is, but it's so open that people don't always pause to give credit where credit's due. Ah. And so and it's not even just, you know, you owe this guy money because you're making his design. It's we've totally forgotten who this person was and what they did for the art form. So so it's it's, you know, feel free to share and put everything out there. But remember where that came from. And and make sure you keep that person's memory alive and understand that you built on what that person gave you to get here. Which is always uh, the danger for any artist, actually. <laughs> just not not just. I don't want. It's not necessarily. I mean, I like money, but for the most part, right. I just want to be mentioned. Just just say my name. Just. <laughs> I I felt that way about my uh, previous. Uh, the previous episode of my podcast was the creator of Drawloween, where he's just like, you can use Drawloween in anything. You can make any book of Drawloween, but just if you could just if you could just say my name right there in the blur and just write it down there, I'm okay with that. Just let people know I created it. I would I would appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, because if you if you put the work behind it, you want to be recognized for the work at least. <laughs> so, um. On the uh, 1989 Batman movie, uh, Batman steals Joker's balloons. Yes. Uh, just a rude, a rude move for a many superhero. <laughs> um, which superhero Batman would you stole want? My to... balloons. Why didn't somebody tell me he had one of those things? Things. <laughs> I love how upset Joker looks too when he looks up because he's not even upset that he's gonna, he's not gonna be able to kill everyone. He's upset that Batman's stealing his balloons. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's where Nicholson really nailed Joker because Joker's ability to flip flop like that. One minute he's a homicidal maniac and the next minute he's giggling about something ridiculous that just happened. <laughs> sure, and being upset about just the, just the idea that he's ruining his party, not about like all the people in the yeah. death because he can, he can kill anyone with a gun. That's whatever. Joker can do that. It's you. I designed those balloons. Those are my balloons. <laughs> uh, which superhero would you want to steal your balloons? Which uh, superhero would you be okay with? All right. I hate to go with the obvious choice, but it'd be Batman. Okay. <laughs> here's, the thing. Okay, like, here's the thing. Most superheroes not known for their creativity. Okay. But like Superman, great guy and everything, but you know, Sweet, lovable, nice to a fault, not super creative. I don't think he's created anything because I only no. I think that the Fortress of Solitude was even not it was not even designed by him. And you know what? If you're Superman, you don't have to. That's fair. You got heat vision, <laughs> you can fly, and you're impervious to pretty much everything except for green rocks from outer space. So, whatever. But Batman, Batman is like really the most creative and ingenious superhero there is you know if i if anyone's gonna take my balloons and do something interesting with them it's gonna be batman because batman was like macgyver before there was a macgyver it's like like he's the guy who's gonna do something interesting with them 
And he's a collector. So while Superman, uh, Superman might destroy, he might throw your balloons into space, and that's rude because no one's going to be able to see these balloons until it comes back. There's no air in space. How do you blow them up? Duh. <laughs> but Batman will put it in his Batcave, and if it's like a really good balloon that he wants to keep as a trophy, he'll keep it. He'll, yeah. he'll he will honor that. And anyone that comes in the cave, he'll be like, I have a whole story behind that balloon. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's somewhere. I want to be the world's greatest detective. That's where I want my balloons to go. That totally makes sense. I can appreciate that. Now, you've also taught at the American Clown Academy, right? I have. How Twice. often? I would have thought there a third year in a row, but, you know, things went sideways this summer. But I'll be back next year because it was a really, really fun event. <laughs> Uh, the videos that you posted were uh, – they weren't terrifying, thank God, uh, because no. I think you were the only one with the red nose. Like you weren't – all the other – like the videos I saw on your Instagram are of uh, teaching people pie throwing, right? Yes. I, I posted a, an extended video of the pie fight class, which, which is a highlight of the event every year. Uh, and, and for obvious reasons, people don't wear their good costume or put their good. makeup on. Because you know you're gonna spend an hour putting your makeup on just to get it pied off, and there you don't have an audience. It's just the class there. So, so yeah, nobody really gets dressed up for that. Um, the, we only really, really get dressed up for what, like the the big events. Um, so, so like the the end of American Clown Academy when people are getting their their certificate of accomplishment at the end of the event, some people want to be in their full costumes so they can get a picture with the head of the school with, with their certificate, things like that. But mostly, yeah, it, it's casual and you're learning and you just want to be comfortable. So yeah, it's, it's, it's casual clowning for the most part. While we're... <laughs> uh, no clowning is casual, uh, but I'm <laughs> glad that when I saw those videos, uh, there weren't anyone in costume. Uh, that was appreciated. I was like, oh no, Cloud Academy, this is awful. And it was just <laughs> pies. I'm like, okay, cool. I can, I can watch pies. Pies are fine. I love pie. Um, well, the thing that I like about American Cloud Academy is that it's, it's not really focused on the, the aesthetic of being a clown. You know, there, there are classes on, if you want tips on your makeup, they've got people who can consult with you and help you work on your makeup. They've got people who are experts on that. They've got people who can help you with, with, costuming and things like that but really the classes are all focused on the end result it, it's how you are going into the world and presenting yourself as a clown um so yeah there there's and it, it's all over the place um there's usually a track on hometown clowning which is you know just <laughs> a local birthday party clown guy you know especially like if you're a small town and you know like you're the only clown like this is marketing and skill sets that you would need just to be your local guy. Um, and then there's a circus clowning track, which is taught by former Ringling Brothers clowns. Ah. And half of that <laughs> is creating skits and like the, the Ringling Brothers method of how they used to create the clown skits for the shows and the process they went through. And the other half is just guys who were former Ringling clowns babbling and telling old stories about stuff that happened on the road. <laughs> so that class is lots of fun. Uh, and then, you know, this last year there was a, a track that was just marketing stuff. People who just, they, they've got their clown skills and they just want to know how to take it out into the world and be more effective 
selling themselves and getting gigs. And so we did a whole track on that. Um, there's a track on hospital clowning because there are a lot of clowns who go into hospitals and not just for kids, but for anybody who's, you know, spending an extended amount of time in the hospital and just someone to brighten their day. And the, the incredible thing, I've never done hospital clowning, but I have friends who do. And that, you know, Sometimes you're going in there and you're cracking jokes and you're playing the ukulele and you're making the family laugh. And other times you're just stopping to be the person who they talk to and cry with because it's a really bad day. And so that that's like a whole separate skill set that they teach there at the academy. And, and then we also bring in some of the world's top clowns. Um, so like uh, my friend Iman and Avner the Eccentric. And so people who are, you know, less the red nose, big shoe clown and more the theatrical clown, you know, almost not quite the Cirque du Soleil type clowning. And with the students, it's the only clown event I've ever been to because I've been to several different clown conventions where I've taught. Um, usually just a couple of days though, this is a full week of like really intensive studies and the students who come to it are all over the map. You know, you've got the, the older clowns who are, you know, they're the ones you're used to seeing like a birthday party, the heavy makeup and things like that. They're the ones who have been going out and doing their local town clown parade for years. And then you've got the younger, more Cirque du Soleil, you know, the, the, where it's about physical movement and a lot of them aren't even wearing the traditional clown makeup. They might have a nose at most, you know, kind, kind of like me. I don't wear the makeup or anything. I wear a brown zoot suit and a bow tie. But, you know, there, there's clowning the, the aesthetic, the look of it, and then there's clowning the performance aspect. And the American Clown Academy really covers all aspects of the performance, whether it's, you know, traditional some magic tricks and some jokes and a puppet birthday party kind of clowning that so many people know, or if it's that higher level theatrical clowning. It, it really covers the entire spectrum and the students who come there cover the entire wide range of all of that as well. Um, and then, so I did not post the video and you're lucky because this would have scared the snot out of you most likely. Um, they, they have the student showcase. These usually it's the second to last night of the academy. There's a local theater, and like this beautiful old theater. So so you know balcony and everything. And we, we take all the students, and we we spend the whole week while they're studying. We're actually letting people audition pieces that they brought to camp. And if you're selected, you then get put with a mentor who helps you refine that piece for a few days. And if you're one of the lucky like 12 that's selected, you actually go on stage and perform your skit at that student showcase. No teachers are in the showcase at all. It's just highlighting the students. Um, so they get to showcase and be on stage in front of, you know, five or 600 people in this glorious theater. Um, and then it, we also have a opening number and closing number with every single student at American Clown Academy. Yeah. So, so like <laughs> people, this is Jimmy's worst nightmare. Like a hundred well, depend, people depends on how the on stage at once. 
Depends on how the clowns look. Because if it's just the Circus Soleil clowns, I can handle the Circus Soleil clowns. It's the no, that show, uh, what? That show the is a lot of grease paint and big shoes. No, Jimmy would oh. not be happy there. In fact, the August clowns I can't handle. Things. Oh my gosh, Jimmy, that should be one of your things, one of your fundraiser things. You will come to American Clown Academy and be on stage for the big number at the end of the show. As we've been talking about this, I was thinking, I was even trying to think of how much money I would want to raise to do that. Yeah. <laughs> we can make this happen that's oh my god that'd be terrifying yeah uh, I just come to the show i want you on that stage getting a pie in the face or something <laughs> yes ah <laughs> oh, that um that sounds terrifying uh every, most of what you said about that clown academy sounds well it's weird because I'm, on one hand i think it's amazing that it, uh, it, it's the the range of clowning is pretty cool. I like hearing that um, the study of it is not so much just uh, making funny sounds or anything. They really they really uh, home in on the art form. They really work on the art. Um, I also think it's amazing that you were saying that uh, the clowns go to the hospital and being able to go from being funny and making jokes and making people laugh to being someone to talk to. Um, do they have like a therapist on hand to teach that sort of stuff or? There's actually, there are training programs. Usually like it's not just a random clown that shows up. Um, yeah. there, there are actual clown troops that specialize in this and will like, they'll make one or two hospitals, their home base that they work out of. And so they've worked with the hospital staff and any new clown that comes in goes through a whole training program with the experienced members of the group before they go in there. Um, but yeah, obviously their, their job is not to like get into heavy therapy or anything, sure. but you know, just being empathetic and being able to switch gears and read people and understand what somebody needs at that moment is that that's what's really amazing to me of what they do. Yeah, because you just, you don't want someone to be uh, obnoxious and trying to make a joke when someone really doesn't really doesn't right. want to joke. It's really <laughs> really not good. So yeah, you know they're they're all very experienced with this. Um, I know New York. There there's a few groups there. Uh, a friend of mine was actually a hospital clown in New York and worked with a couple of the different troops there. Um, and I have a friend here who's that that's most of her clowning at this point is doing hospitals and she she's actually been really bummed because this entire pandemic she hasn't been able to go into the hospital yeah as they're not letting the clowns come in for obvious reasons um but also she she's a little bit older herself so aside from the hospital's regulations she's also kind of high risk and probably shouldn't be around too many people so i, I it's really sad to see how much that bums her out because that was a really, really big part of who she was before this all happened. Totally understandable. And uh, I, as much as I hate clowns, I do have to tip my hat. That's pretty, that's, that's a cool, that's a cool program. That's a cool aspect. I was not aware existed. Um, I'm amazed by them. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, what is B Buster Balloons Tricks and Treats? Buster Balloons, Tricks and Treats. Um, I saw that on your website, and I want more people to know about it. So so for Halloween, I'm doing a few different things for Halloween. Um, for big public events, I've got a couple of live shows that I'll be doing, and I'll be posting 
info on those soon. Um, and of course, those are social distance. I won't be able to bring kids up on stage and interact like I normally would, but we'll still have live shows. Um, and I'm doing a bunch of virtual shows. The tricks and treats thing that I put together is a virtual visit where a family can book a 15 minute visit with me. And it's a short Halloween themed show happens here in my office. Like I said, this is my, my Zoom setup. So it's it's 15 minutes of spooky magic. And, and then, okay, parents, this is the time to send the kids out of the room. Um, <laughs> is before the show, I actually mail a scare package to the parents. Just get to see a scare package instead of care package. I got you. <laughs> uh, so I send the scare package ahead of time. Make sure they have it before we do the show. Because what happens is during the show, there are going to be interactive elements. And there are things in the box that are actually going to play into the show. So, for example, if the kids and I do a card trick together and the trick ends with the card vanishing and then reappears in the living room with the kids. And then that's pretty cool. I've got a little goodie bag for each of the kids with some candy and, you know, plastic skeletons and spiders and just all the fun Halloween stuff. And the end of the show, I bring those out, they disappear. And then with a little help from the parents, they reappear at the house for the kids. So if someone is in, you know, because we're all stuck inside, we're stuck inside, there's no trick-or-treating, this sounds like a pretty amazing way to keep the holiday alive and to give the kids something to do. (laughs) I think it's going to be fun. And again, I think everyone's got their their comfort level of what they can and can't do. And and I know that there are some people who are thrilled that I'm going to have some live shows they can come to, even though it's going to be different and, and social distanced. They're still excited to come and have that live event but i've got a lot of friends and a lot of clients who have underlying health issues and and they should not be coming to those events you know the the last thing i want is to find out that a kid who i love lost a parent or a grandparent or someone else because they came to a show that i was at so that's why i'm also doing virtual shows i'm doing a virtual show with the anaheim fall festival this year and a few other events online that'll be free and available to all of my friends. And then if they want to do something extra special, I've got this personal one-on-one family visit where we do the Zoom show and the tricks and treats. Because some families will go trick-or-treating. There, 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 are, there are socially distanced trick-or-treat events out there. I, I've been trying to hook up with one of the uh, drive-through trick-or-treat events because I think that would be really fun to perform for a family while they're in their car. <laughs> But but yeah, there, there's drive-through haunted houses, and there's a couple of drive-through trick-or-treat events where you you drive in and they give you your candy, and you drive to the next stop, they give you your candy, and you go out. <laughs> but for people who can't do that or just want to add something a little extra to their holiday season, that I, I think these tricks and treats events are going to be fun. And the tricks, the trick and tr- tricks or treats uh, that is uh, tricks and treats. Tricks and they treats. get both. They get magic. <laughs> There's no treats. or. Again, <laughs> the play on words. Um, so how how does someone get into that? Do, do they go on your website or? Yep, just go to BusterBloom.com and fill out the contact form there, or they can just email me at BusterBloom@me.com. Um, I I keep very weird hours, so 
calling me is not always the most effective way to reach me, but if they email or send the contact form from the website, I can get back to them at whatever weird hours I'm awake and, and able to do that. That's pretty awesome. So if I'm having like a Halloween party, which I'm not because I'm stuck inside the house, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know how I'd be able to, I don't have a big enough uh, house to do any kind of social distancing that's safe. Um, but if someone does have a family and they have, uh, they want to spice up their Halloween, spice up their Halloween, they want to make their Halloween more entertaining, they want to do something for the kids, um, they could put your uh, tricks and treats on the, the TV, hopefully, if they can connect their uh, internet to the TV. And that sounds really amazing. That sounds pretty cool. Um, are there any magic tricks? I'm, I mean, I don't want you to spoil anything, but are there any magic tricks where uh, you are going to plant something with a parent, but do the magic on the screen? No, no, of course not. Why would I do that? That would be yeah. cheap, Jimmy. That would that wouldn't make that. any. Of course, we're gonna do that. That wouldn't make any sense. Why? We're totally doing that. <laughs> um, all right, I will tell you. I've got I've got a card. No, you don't have to spoil any details. You don't have to spoil any details. You can. There, there's a super scary card trick that I have, which sounds nice. like an oxymoron. A card trick should not be able to be scary, uh, but it is. It is a scary card trick, um, and it's only for kids. Like I have to approve the kids. It, <laughs> recommended for kids 12 and up. And, and I, I get I get the final say on if we do that trick or not because I don't want to be hit with somebody's therapy bill after. Sure. We do <laughs> <laughs> you want to have like a trigger warning right there. <laughs> that that would that would be a thing. Uh, I'm I'm often worried whenever I do like a, a scary artwork and someone's flipping through my portfolio and I'm like, uh, this might not be a good idea. <laughs> My social media, I, I have to warn people every year, you know, leading up to it, there, there, there's like a week of warnings. I'm about to go full spooky. If you are not into this stuff, <laughs> feel free to unfollow me for the next two months because I'm just going to bombard you with Halloween stuff every day for 60 days now. What, what's, what's the month say, er, I'm going to go spooky? <laughs> yeah, 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 that's it. That's, that's the turning point. <laughs> I, actually, I see, like, at the beginning of, of the spooky post, there's always, not a huge drop, but there's always, you know, like, maybe 10 to 20 people who drop off. I'll watch the numbers dip, and then that number goes way up, leading up towards Halloween. <laughs> and I lose those people who don't want to follow, but then I'll get all these new people who are totally into it. And, you know, you being here in Southern California, you know, we've got a huge and very enthusiastic year round Halloween and horror community here. You know, I, I can't think of any place else in the country or even the world that has as many year round spooky themed businesses and attractions as we do. You know, we've got like a dozen horror themed bars and restaurants alone, not, not to mention all the other places. I love it when you show up in places I don't expect you to show up. Like I'll, I'll follow spooky people and then they'll be like, oh, hey, I met Buster Balloon or we had Buster Balloon show up in the studio and do his thing. And I'm like, yep, that's that's <laughs> that's what he does. <laughs> I love seeing you show up, especially when it comes to like the, just the spooky community, because uh, um, whenever I think about like people in my friend group who pretty much they are the spooky months they are october like right. uh Con connor's one of them the paranormal pixie and then there's you where whenever halloween comes in i know that my life's going to be a whole lot better my my social media is going to be a lot better Aww. and 
um, what was it? I think uh, who who's doing the uh, the live event that you're going to be at? I think it's called Spooky Boo. Spooksy Boo, yes. Spooksy Boo. Okay, uh, cool. Spooksy I couldn't remember the. <laughs> yeah, he does this just super super cute artwork, and and it's she does occasionally she does some normal stuff, but it's almost all creepy. Or, you know, it's super cute versions of scary characters or non-scary characters that she's zombified or turned into voodoo dolls. And they're, just, they're the most adorable things. And her husband created a spinoff company. He, he runs Spooksy Boo Events because they kind of got into making their own, like, night market events and things where her and her friends who where spooky vendors would all get together and do these things. Uh, so now they're producing their own events, and I've got two events coming up with them in October. I'll be with them at the Anaheim Garden Walk on October 3rd and the 10th. And I think, uh, let's see, October 3rd, is that is that Saturday? Yeah, it's yep, a Saturday. It's the first Saturday. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, because, like, uh, that weekend, I'm like, oh, do I want to uh, do I want to brave the pandemic and go to these live events? Uh, but they're safe. They're safe. You social distance. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. It's all outdoors. And Wearing masks, cover we mouth and nose. Cut down the number of vendors, <laughs> so it's more spaced out. Uh-huh. And yeah, they they've really. I, I think as much as you can make things safe under the conditions, I, sure. I think they've done an amazing job with it. But both them and the the shopping center that's hosting them. I would totally be there, but that is a 24-hour comic book day, and I have not missed a 24-hour comic book day in, uh, I think I'm on year 12. It's year, year, wow. if, it, if it's year 12, that's cool, but if it's year 13, I'm definitely not going to skip year 13. Right. No, you can't do that. <laughs> I can't, can't remember what year I'm on. I got I to gotta double check on that. Um, so when I when I mentioned that you are one of the icons of Halloween, in my opinion, in my in my world, you're one of the icons of Halloween. Um, what does Halloween mean to you? Because we met at a Halloween convention, and so that also that also might help why you're the, one of the icons of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> sure, there's that. <laughs> I think for me, Halloween is the ultimate kid holiday for me. When I was a kid, I, Halloween was my favorite, and I've actually really been thinking about this lately because, you know, trying to reinvent Halloween events this year and make them work around where people are and where we are societally at the moment. And I think Halloween's so cool because, like, Christmas is great. You know, Christmas, you get presents and and candy and all the awesome food and stuff, but Christmas is also about your family and it's about okay now we're going to go here and now we're going to do this and halloween is is all about kids and freedom it's you get to pick your costume you decide which houses are too scary to go to or or not and you decide how many houses you're going to go to to get your candy and i just feel like the 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 freedom of it for kids because it does allow them that freedom of expression and that fun and that it really is just pure fun there's no obligation of where we have to be at any given time for dinner or anything like that and we don't have to wait for somebody else to show up before we open our presents it's just about pure kid fun and and i love the idea of like i love all the spooky stuff I, i i'm an all-around horror nerd. I, I love the cheesy, like, you know, Disney twitches and Descendants and, and Halloween Town side of it. I also love 
you know, the super intense, scary movie horror side of all this. But there's something extra special about the kid element of Halloween and keeping that alive and keeping that fun for kids because they only get a little window of that. They only get like a tiny little sliver of that. And I'm just really, really committed to making those few years they have as amazing as possible and create those magical memories that are hopefully going to last with them like they have for guys like you and me. (laughs) I never really considered about, I I never really thought about that with Halloween that uh, it is the only holiday where kids get to be in charge about what's going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, you decide if you want to be spooky or if you want to be a princess or a clown. You know, you, you, they get to design the pumpkin. They get to design yeah. the face. Yeah, it's it's it, it's pure kiddom. <laughs> well, because like every other holiday, uh, I can't think of another holiday that's totally freedom for kids. I mean, sure, their birthday is designed for them, but they don't get to. They, they get to. They might be able to get to design the theme where if they're like, oh, I like Sonic the Hedgehog, they can make it Sonic yeah. the Hedgehog. But again, you're right that Halloween, like I've seen, I've seen jack-o'-lanterns that don't really have a face. That's just a bunch of weird shapes that have been carved in this pumpkin. Fine. You know, plus, you know, here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm down on anybody. Okay. I don't want to <laughs> seem like I, I'm saying it's wrong. Sure. I, I know the guy. Okay. I know him and I'm a huge fan. I've met him more times I can count and he is sweet and lovable and just one of the nicest human beings. But Christmas has the pressure of being good because Santa's watching. Okay. And no matter how magnanimous he might be, there's still some pressure there. You know, (laughs) how good your Christmas is depends on how good Santa thought you were. And the Easter bunny is not quite as bad, but you know, kind of still has that. Meanwhile, Halloween's about you, 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 you pick everything. And, and it's not about whether you're good or bad. In fact, you're allowed to be a little mischievous. You're expected to be a little mischievous that night. Yeah, and you are going door to door and threatening people. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I think we have we have sadly got away from the trick or treat part, which I'm, I'm okay with. I'm actually okay with that. <laughs> if there's not a treat. <laughs> if, if my house got egged, hopefully it doesn't. But if my house got egged, I'd be like. Cool. I guess it's going to be egged for a while. I'm not going to clean that up. I'm not <laughs> right. Like Christmas, you know, the whole caroling. How freaking passive aggressive is that? You know, hey, we're singing happy songs. We're singing songs. Now bring us food. We want figgy pudding. Seriously? Don't we're not going to go until we get sing? some. You just came here and sang, and now you want something in return? What's that all about? Reciprocity <laughs> so much? Halloween? No, it's trick or treat. Hi, we've come for candy. If you don't give it to us, we're going to egg your house. Simple, clean, straightforward. <laughs> we're not, we're not playing around the, we're not being no, around the bush no, here. <laughs> no, no passive aggressive nonsense. It's a very simple transaction. Now, what are you doing differently? Uh, well, I mean, performance-wise, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff differently because it's a pandemic Halloween. But what are you going to do uh, at your own home differently uh, now that we're in the pandemic celebrating Halloween? I. I don't know yet. Okay. Um, I live in a small gated apartment complex and we don't have a lot of kids sure. who come trick-or-treating in here. Um, and honestly, I haven't been home on Halloween for years because usually I'm out doing public events somewhere. Of course. Um, but this year, even even with the virtual events and the social distance events, you know, a, a lot of places 
either decided not to do anything at all because they weren't sure how to reinvent what they were going to do, or by the time they had an idea for it, it was too late to get a budget and everything together. So there's just not as many Halloween events this year as I would normally do. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking I'm not 100% on this yet, um, but the daily sticker giveaway thing that I've been doing on my website. Which is awesome. If they go to the website, fill out the the Halloween giveaway form, I pick one random person every day and I give them a randomly chosen Spooksy Boo sticker. Um, but from the pool of all the winners, I may be drawing a few names to do a special Halloween thing for those people in particular that may or may not involve me showing up at their house with a basket of Halloween treats for them. That's pretty cool. So you're going to be like the Halloween Santa uh, during the pandemic? <laughs> Where's the Halloween bunny? The Halloween bunny. I so like that. A little basket of goodies. Um, I mean, wear that costume. I go buy, I'm going to go buy some ears right now. <laughs> I would love that. Um, I <laughs> I don't know. Well, because like because Halloween was going to be on Saturday, I was going to I was planning on traveling. I was thinking about going to like Anoka, the Halloween capital of the world, somewhere do something different. But uh, now that we're stuck at home um, and I have this podcast, uh, Question Crunch is actually going to be doing a. Um, semi-live event where starting from 11 o'clock a.m. to midnight, uh, we're going to have performers uh, either send in pre-recorded videos or if they want to do live videos, they can do that. So if you have the time, not saying you have to, but if you're interested, you can come on. (laughs) I I, I may have a pre-recorded video I could send you for that. I would appreciate that greatly. Um, and because it's also going to be Drawloween, I'm also going to be doing a bunch of, uh, my Drawloween sketches are going to be able to be downloaded and printed and colored for people at home because I definitely want to do whatever I possibly can to make sure people's Halloweens are not shitty just because of the pandemic. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm working hard behind the scenes. So this whole month, all of September, it's been posting different spooky balloon creations every day. And then, like, it's usually one, you know, super photoshopped pretty picture, and then it's some pictures from some past Halloween events or projects I've worked on. Um, but starting October 1st, I'm actually going to be doing still the spooky balloon every day, but there's also going to be a bunch of performance videos of me doing just, you know, like TikTok style, very quick spooky magic tricks or comedy bits or puppets. And then also I have been combing the interwebs and collecting old Halloween commercials and themed cartoons. So just all these funny, weird, bizarre gonzo videos I've been collecting. I'm just going to randomly start posting those. So, so September has just been warm up month. Come on. It's just going to be wall-to-wall spooky stuff of every nature on my social media and website. Well, because this this episode will happen in October. This is our first October episode, and I made sure that our first October episode had you on it. Um, yeah, that's what I mean. I told well, you, you're the icon of Halloween for me. You should all be going to my social media. Go look up Buster Balloon on Instagram and the TikToks and the Facebooks and probably some of the YouTubes as well. And I'll just be slamming you with Halloween content every day for the next month because that's what it's all about right now. Yep, this comes out on the uh, on the 2nd, so you already have two 
uh, amazing post from Buster Balloon. You gotta go check that out on his social media. Um, hey, thanks, Jimmy. <laughs> I gotta make sure about that. Um, what 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 advice would you give to someone who was just starting into uh, balloon twisting? Have fun. Like that's it. I, I people worry about like you know how long is it going to take me to learn this and and what techniques do I need to know and what all right just get a bag the the standard balloon in the industry is a 260 that's the long skinny balloon that everyone uses buy a pump because seriously don't mouth inflate it's it's socially taboo right now because of the pandemic but also I've seen two grown men pass out and have to be hauled out by EMTs from trying to blow up balloons. Oh, no. Do not try to blow up those balloons. Put your ego aside and just buy a stinking pump. Um, I'm old and I'm stupid. And for me, blowing up balloons in my office is kind of like smoking. I've been doing it so long I can't stop. But you have a choice. Buy a pump. That's it. Buy some 260s and a pump and, you know, maybe some five-inch rounds and some hearts. Go crazy with it. And then jump on YouTube because there's a ton of videos on YouTube. Um, actually, after Halloween's over, I'll be starting a new YouTube channel for kids where I'll be teaching balloon twisting basics for them. But the the coolest and the best balloon sculptures I've ever seen came from people who had no balloon twisting experience. And I'm sure you get this. That, you know, As an artist, there's, there's a level of training and art school that's good because you learn those basic techniques that you need, but then it can go too far where you become too rigid and locked into things. And I see way too many balloon twisters who obsess about a recipe and how many inches is this bubble and, and which angle does that go at? Just learn the techniques and then play and you'll come up with way cooler stuff that way. You, you can learn recipes and other designs later. Just have fun with it. And don't worry about getting a gig or making money with it. Just have fun.